I am very excited to be uh, preaching this particular sermon, uh, week two of our very brief overview of the gospel, our brief 21-week overview of the gospel. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I have a lot of hesitation uh, preaching this to you all uh, because, and, and Brad would certainly uh, echo this, but I, I love you guys very deeply. I love Grace Community Church uh, very deeply. I love its youth. Uh, perhaps even more deeply, uh, and and we we live in a time and in a place and in a context where it's very easy to assume the gospel, and it's very hard to preach the gospel uh, because when you preach the gospel, you are preaching it to people who assume that they know it, and that that may not be all of you, uh, and and I. I certainly don't want to say that it is all of you, but I certainly want you all to search your hearts over this next 21 weeks and see uh, if this gospel that you are assuming is the true gospel, uh, because it has been rightly said that the gospel assumed uh, is quite quickly the gospel denied. And as a church, we do not want to be a body that denies the gospel. And so I stand here with great hesitation because I am eager to preach the gospel. I, I love it. And, and I'm, I'm so hoping that we as a church will be a church that does not assume the gospel, but rather lives the gospel and all the things that are peripheral that tend to come central when we assume the gospel, but th that they would assume their right place and that we would do them in the right context, which is the context of the gospel. Uh, and so what I want to do is to connect what Brad taught last week to uh, this week's topic, which is the plan, uh, which we will go into in in much detail later, but I want to connect those two. And so in order to do that, I want to give full disclosure about my intentions uh, for this morning. Uh, we are going to look at one defining statement, eight descriptive words, each with two clarifying sentences, uh, one definitive or one demonstrative sermon, I should say, uh, a historical overview, and then hopefully an evocative conclusion. Um, and so uh, I just want you to know, and that's in my notes, this is just my notes laid out for you, and it's an evocative conclusion. And so I hope that this will be uh, that. But as you can see, there's a lot to cover, and so I'm going to pray. And what I would like for you to do, again, is to not pray with your eyes closed, but this time to pray with your eyes open. And uh, I've got the prayer that Brad prayed last week, and it'll be up on the screen. And read it again, and let it sink in. Uh, there's a second prayer that we're going to pray to close, uh, and, and, and I want you to let that one sink in as well. Uh, but but read, uh, read this and, and pray it uh, with me. O Sovereign Lord, I do not determine the course my life takes. You do. You have included me in your great plan for the world at this time and in this place. I bow to your purpose for me. Deepen my sense that in the gospel, I have something to live up to. A great purpose to be inspired by, something larger than myself to which I am duty bound and from which 
I derive direction and energy for living. And when I come to an end, O Lord, may I be found faithful. In the holy name of Christ, amen. So let's quickly uh, go to our defining statement. Last week, Brad presented you with a statement that we are going to be coming back to over and over again for the next now 20 weeks. Um, and, and I want you to look at this statement and I want you to let it soak in. And I know that it's a lot and I know that we're going to be going over a lot. And so it's very important and I need to put this plug in here before I get rolling and forget about it completely. I need to put this plug in that you need to be in a home group. If you are not in a home group, you are missing out on so much of what is happening and so much of how we are living out this gospel. Um, and, and also, when you come across things that strike you as interesting or confusing or new, um, when you're in a home group, you have people that you can, you can talk to and you can work through these things together with. Um, and so it's so important. If you are not in a home group outside, there's a booklet that has all the information on home group and where they are. Um, I host one. You're welcome to come to that. There's the shameless plug right there. And then there are several others throughout, and they're all good. And they will all be willing to, to welcome you in. They'd be happy to do it. Um, and so that being said, let's read our gospel definition. And it is this. The just and gracious God of the universe, in response to hopelessly sinful people, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we can't, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross, and to show his power over sin in the resurrection, so that all who respond to the Holy Spirit's call to repent and believe in Jesus will be reconciled to God forever. And within this definition, there are eight uh, distinctives of the gospel. And I'm going to give you eight words that may be unusual, uh, that you may not use on a typical basis. Hopefully we'll define them. I'm going to roll through them. They're all going to be on, on the uh, uh, screen. And so if you want to write them down and, and think about them later, I encourage you to do that. Um, but the first thing that we see about this gospel, uh, the gospel is necessarily Christological, and that means it centers around Christ. It's about Jesus. Um, the gospel is about Jesus and him crucified. That is to say that if the life and work of Jesus Christ do not find themselves at the center of your gospel, uh, it's a false gospel. Those are hard words, and they cause you to search. And so I'm going to say them again. If the life and work of Jesus Christ do not find themselves at the center of your gospel, of your articulation of the gospel, then it's a false gospel. Because Jesus is the center of the gospel, as we'll see. Jesus, him who came in flesh, who lived a perfect life, who died, who was crucified and risen again. This Jesus is the central point of the gospel. Uh, the gospel is Christological, but the gospel is also theological. And that is to say that it's about God. Uh, the gospel is about God and his plan for the universe. And if it is right to say that Jesus Christ is at the center of the gospel, it is also right to say that it is God who puts him there. 
The gospel has been God's plan from the beginning. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the majority of the time today. Uh, the gospel is Christological, it's theological, it's anthropological, which means it's about man. The gospel is about humanity and our utter desperation. Uh, the gospel opens our eyes to our hopelessly sinful state and calls us to repentance and belief in Jesus. The gospel is biblical. Of course it's biblical. <laughs> it's the gospel, right? Uh, but what I mean by that is that it finds its root in all of Scripture. Uh, the gospel is rooted deeply uh, and is communicated throughout all Scripture. It's foreshadowed in the Old Testament and it's realized in the New Testament. Uh, not only is it biblical, uh, but it is historical. Uh, it is rooted throughout all of history, throughout all of human history, and throughout all of what we would call redemptive history. And this is so important, uh, because uh, especially in the context of our, our postmodern culture, uh, we tend to uh, place aside the historical uh, reality of the gospel for a philosophical mindset or a lifestyle. And the gospel is not merely rooted in philosophical assent to a heavenly mindset, but rather in a God who literally entered history, who literally became man, who literally died and literally rose again. Historically, there is a Jesus. And our gospel is centered on this. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ did not historically, literally rise from the dead, then we are to be pitied among all men the most. Uh, the gospel is all these things, and the gospel is also transformational. The gospel is, for those who receive it, life-giving and life-changing. And if it's not that, then it's probably not the gospel that you're believing. Uh, you cannot say that you believe and know the gospel and not be changed by its power. The gospel is communal. It's meant to be shared. We as Christians are called time and time again to preach the gospel. We preach it to ourselves, uh, we preach it within, and we preach it without. We preach it to the world, to the lost, um, so that they might be transformed by it. And finally, the gospel is central. And this is why we are spending so much time on this topic that you, you may think, man, I've heard this before. But even that thought, is showing that the gospel has moved from central to peripheral. But the gospel is central. The church and the faith rest upon it, and it is at the heart of the life of Christ's followers. Uh, this is why we preach the gospel. This is why Paul says, all I want to do, all I seek to do is, is to preach Jesus and him crucified. I delight in sharing the gospel with you. Peter, the same thing. I want to preach to you the gospel. Because it's central. It's all of life is the gospel. And we specifically are looking at the gospel within the context of Roman, Romans. And so uh, in order to give that context, again, we're going to read the same verses uh, that we read last week. Uh, and in a second, I'll have you stand. And I'll, I will say this, that we're going to spend most of the time in a different text. In Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter's uh, sermon 
to, uh, and on the day of Pentecost. Uh, it's not my sermon that's demonstrative. It's actually his that we're looking at. And so I want to clarify that. That was not self-promoting, hopefully, in any way. Um, but for the sake of not having you stand through nearly the entire chapter 2 of Acts, we're going to read together uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. So if you could go ahead and stand as we read uh, God's word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. Grace and peace, or grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, let's pray. Father, we love your gospel seek to love your gospel more and to know it deeply uh, because your gospel points us to Jesus and Jesus gives us life. May your spirit move within us and give us life. Cause us to see Jesus in his name. Amen. And you can be seated. Like I said, we're not spending really any time in Romans, but I wanted you to see that this is coming out of the context of Romans. We are just following uh, the pattern that Paul has given as he preaches the gospel, as he writes the gospel to those in Rome. Uh, and if you will read uh, verse 2 again, what we see is that, that Paul is called to teach the gospel. He's been set apart for the gospel of God, which, according to verse 2, he, being God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. And then in verse 3, we see it's concerning his son, Jesus. And that is what we are looking at. This gospel, which God beforehand promised. And the best way to do that, in, in my estimation, is to look at the very first sermon of the Christian church. And it comes on the day of Pentecost. And so... Uh, we are going to be looking at Peter's uh, sermon in Acts chapter 2. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 14. And let's look at what Peter has to say. <clears throat> and just, just for a little background, uh, the Holy Spirit has come down on the believers, uh, and they have begun speaking in tongues to each other, and one person is speaking in his language, but the other is hearing it in their language, and vice versa, and people are looking out on this, and seeing this pouring down of the Holy Spirit, and people talking what appears to be jibber-jabber to each other, and they think, these people must be drunk. Um, and Peter hears this, and he preaches this sermon. Um, Peter, standing with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, declares the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you know yourselves, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, which is amazing. And this is a lot. This is a loaded sermon. It's so loaded that there have been hundreds upon hundreds of sermons unpacking this sermon. But we are not going to go uh, into the depth of all of the, 
the scripture references that he gives. We're not going to go into the depths of the nuance with which he speaks and even necessarily the extreme context to which he is speaking to these people who are doubting that this is the spirit of God moving. Uh, instead, we're just going to look at uh, four distinctive points of Peter's sermon. Uh, and and they, we're going to look at the flow of his sermon and then we're going to look at what, what seems to be the crux of his sermon. Uh, The flow of his sermon is this, that God has sent the Spirit according to the Scriptures. Uh, And he quotes the prophet Joel for this. It says, in the last days, which is an assumption that he's making, that now that Jesus has ascended, we all are living in the last days. In these the last days, God, as prophesied by the prophet Joel, has sent his Spirit. And his spirit has filled his people, and his people are preaching, they are prophesying. And what are they preaching? Well, it has to be the gospel, uh, because of the second point that he seems to make, which Joel makes. And that is that in those days, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter is saying this, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, according to the scriptures. This is what Joel has said, this is what the Holy Spirit has said through Joel. And then he moves to a second movement in this sermon. And it essentially is this. Jesus Christ lived, was crucified, and risen again according to the Scriptures. There's a pretty distinct pattern in all of this. It is according to the scriptures. And these two movements, the Joel movement and the Davidic movement, that's what I'll call them. Don't look in any books for that. That's just what we're going to say. So the movement that is bracketed by the prophecy of Joel and the movement that is bracketed by the prophecy of David in the Psalms um, are connected with one thing. And it's this statement. Um, All of this happened according to the plan and the foreknowledge of God. This is what this sermon rests on. This sermon about Jesus, this sermon about the Holy Spirit, this sermon about the church, all of it rests on the fact that this is and was God's plan. And think about the context in which he uses that statement. This Jesus, whom you crucified, that's a bad thing whom you killed for no good reason, except out of hate and and malice and anger, and they know this. Uh, This Jesus was crucified and delivered up to you, not by chance and not by your awesome scheming, uh, but rather it happened according to the plan and the foreknowledge of God. And he knows this because the scriptures have said it. All of these things that happen with Jesus, uh, the scripture has said. And so we see that the gospel, uh, according to Peter's sermon, was God's plan from the beginning. And so perhaps the best thing to do would be to look from the beginning and see how Peter and Paul, uh, Timothy, Mark, Luke, the author of Hebrews, how they all come to this conclusion that it was from the beginning. Um, And... And they do all come to that conclusion as we survey Scripture, as we survey 
the Old Testament, let's first see uh, that this is something that is very much uh, believed and rooted uh, in the New Testament as well. Um, and Paul says it time and time again in Ephesians uh, 1, 7 through 10. Uh, Paul says that he's preaching the gospel, which is the mystery of his will in Jesus Christ, which was hidden until the fullness of time, that God had planned this from before. And at the fullness of time, Jesus would come and die and save his people. And then again in Ephesians, he reminds them that, that this, in Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, that this mysterious plan that God had, was hidden for ages, but it was always his plan that you would be saved by grace through faith and not of yourself. This has been the plan of God from the beginning to the church in Colossae. In Colossians 1, 24 through 29, he says again, this mystery was hidden for ages, that God chose you, his people, and that he chose Jesus to save his people. Uh, this has been recorded in Scripture, and we've missed it. It's been mysterious, but it's been his plan from the beginning. And in Galatians 3, 7 through 9, he says that um, foreseeing all of these events, God preached the gospel to Abraham. That's the exact wording that Paul uses. God preached the gospel to Abraham. But wait, the gospel doesn't start till Matthew. No, the gospel is ancient, and God has been preaching it for a long time. He preached it to Abraham. That necessarily rules out the idea that because Adam and Eve failed, God had to come up with a plan. And then when the world failed, God had to come up with a special chosen people. And that when his people failed, he had to come up with Jesus. That rules it out because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to Abraham when he said that your offspring will bless the entire world. It was God's plan from the beginning. In 1 Corinthians, Paul shows that according to the um, scripture, all of these things happen. Uh, it's very similar to Peter's sermon here. Jesus is delivered up according to the scripture. You can be saved according to the scripture. Uh, that's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. And right after that, he says, if Jesus did not, uh, was not bodily raised from the dead, um, then our faith is worthless. Um, uh, also, and this isn't on the slide, but if you read the book of Hebrews, um, and we love to read the last two chapters, three chapters of Hebrews, but if you read the entire book of Hebrews, what you're seeing is, it was never supposed to be the angels. It was never supposed to be Moses. It was never supposed to be Joshua. It was never supposed to be the law. It was always Jesus. This is what God has been preaching and teaching from the beginning. If you look at the Gospels, it's always Jesus, even himself saying, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In accordance with the will of my Father, which he set apart beforehand. This is what the New Testament apostles, what Jesus, what the readers all believed. And we have to understand it. This is why we say that the Bible is, or the gospel is biblical and historical. It is rooted throughout all of the Bible and throughout all of history. God has been working out his gospel for you. And it starts in the beginning. You guys know this story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And the spirits of God were hovering over the water. And God said, let there be light. There was light. And he separated the light from the dark. It's called the light day. 
the dark night, the first day. And then God said, let us separate the waters from below from the waters from above. And we'll call that expanse in the middle sky. And so we have skies, the waters above, and the oceans. And it was evening, it was morning, the second day. And then God said, uh, let's separate the land from the water on the ground. So we have oceans and we have continents. Uh, it was evening, it was morning, the third day. And what's happened is on day one, God has separated light from dark. On day two, God has separated the waters above from the waters below with the sky. And on day three, God has separated the water from the land. And then God says, let us create orbs. Let us create governing bodies for the day and the night. We'll create the sun to govern the day. We'll create the stars and the moon to govern the night. It was evening, it was morning, the fourth day. God said, let's create fish and all sorts of sea creatures uh, and all flying things. It was evening, it was morning, the fifth day. And then God says, let us create animals, uh, all kinds of animals, giraffes, bunnies, uh, little dogs. And it was evening and it was morning, the sixth day. I left out humanity, we'll come back to that. Um, but if you remember, day one, day two, day three, God is separated. Day four, God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, which fill the day and the night, which he separated in day one. God separates, and then he fills. Day two is the sky and the oceans. And on day five, God creates fish and birds. He separates, and he fills. Day three, land, ocean. Land, animals. On day six, including humanity, he separates and he fills. This has been God's plan from the beginning. What does God do with his people? He separates them from the world and he fills them with his spirit. He separates and he fills. And he creates them in his image. But, as you know, this went terribly wrong in Genesis 3. Humanity rejects God. And there's a curse given to them. And within that curse... There is already, again, this idea of the gospel. If you remember, the curse to Adam, work the land, it'll fight against you. The curse to Eve, you'll have pain and childbearing. The curse to the serpent, the offspring of Eve will crush your head. God promises Jesus in Genesis 3 from the curse. This is not plan D. This is it. This has been God's plan from the beginning. If you remember, Adam and Eve realize they're naked and they're ashamed. And they sew for themselves suits of fig, le fig leaves. And God sees them. And he's like, what, what, what are you doing? Why did you make yourself clothes? And they say, well, we were naked and ashamed. We wanted to cover our guilt. And so we made ourselves suits of fig leaves. And God killed the animal and gave them the skins to wear as clothes. And Adam and Eve tried to cover their guilt with their own righteousness, with their own works. But God said, that's not how it works. How it works is I make a sacrifice. I give you clothes and you clothe yourself in it. It's grace. And the scriptures tell us to clothe ourselves in Jesus, to clothe ourselves in righteousness and humility and love and joy and peace. To clothe ourselves in the things above that we cannot clothe ourselves in, but that God has to clothe us, clothe us in. This is the gospel from the beginning. Clothe yourselves in Jesus, not in your own righteousness. Jesus has come. He has crushed the serpent. 
Fast forward. God says to Abraham, I will give you an offspring. Paul says this offspring was not a plural offspring. This offspring was singular, and this offspring was Jesus Christ. And he will be a blessing to the world, the whole world, not just your children, but the whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike. And now we, Gentiles, enjoy the blessing of Jesus Christ. It was preached from the beginning. David, your king will rule. It was preached from the beginning. And my favorite thing is that David gives this awesome summary of the gospel and the Bible throughout all of the Psalms. And then Psalm 148 through 150, the last three gospels, he gives this amazing doxology. This is his response. And in the middle of this doxology in Psalm 148 uh, is this, these two things. He says, it says, praise the Lord. Uh, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord from the heights above. He tells the, the, the sun, moon, and stars to praise the Lord. He tells the angels and all the heavenly hosts to praise the Lord. And he says, for this reason, that he gave a decree that will never pass away. So praise the Lord on the earth. He says, praise the Lord, all these earthly things. And he says, praise the Lord. And then in the end, he says, why? Uh, for the Lord has raised up a horn for his people. The praise of all the saints. This is David's conclusion, is that somewhere in all of this, God has given a decree that shall never pass away, and that that decree is this risen horn, this risen king, that is the praise of all the saints. God has been pursuing you. He has chosen you from the beginning. And he's chosen to give us Jesus from the beginning so that all who believe in him might be saved. So that Peter could rightly preach that in those days, these last days, we are living out what Joel said, that the Spirit has come upon his people and they preach the gospel. And in those days, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved through Jesus Christ, who, according to the scriptures, lived, died, was risen again, ascended into the heavens, sits at the right hand of my Lord um, <laughs> until God makes his enemies a footstool. And so for us, here we have this plan that is laid out for us for your peace, for your joy, for your love, for your salvation. This is the gospel, and you have to remember it. Because just as Paul says, just as Peter says, just as the author of Hebrews says, every, every single block of epistles um, in the New Testament says this. They quote David when David says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. And we as Christians need to remember this uh, because the promise of the gospel there, there's, is, is, is almost in its fullness. Because Jesus sits at the right hand of, Father, of the Father um, and his enemies will be made his footstool. He will return again. And you can hope in that. You can feel secure in that. Because all of the other things that God has planned and promised, He's brought to pass. So repent. Believe in Jesus. Preach the gospel to all people. <laughs> Participate in the signs of the gospel which we'll talk about in several weeks, I'm sure. Justice, mercy, moral living, all of these things that 
are not central and become bad things when they take the place of the central point of the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ died for your sins. But do these things now with Jesus in the center and eagerly await his return. Let's pray and listen, uh, listen to this second prayer. Oh Lord, we love your gospel. It opens a window into the prison of this world, letting in a shaft of heavenly light. We look up, the light falls on our faces. It fills us with hope and joy. Your gospel is old. You have given us something real and solid in the midst of this paper-thin, anti-historical pop culture. You have given us roots that go down deep. Your gospel was here long before we were, and it will endure long after we're gone. Your gospel, ancient and holy, is something for us to submit to, not play with. Against the bias of this present evil age, which emboldens our subjectivity, quicken within us, Lord, a vivid sense of the antiquity and objectivity of truth to which our conscience must surrender. Amen.